Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. All right, let's read what the scripture teaches us about approaching the word of God. All right, let's read together. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong with our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants to do. All right. We're back in Judges today. And uh, I know Judges has been an interesting journey. Um, a lot of uh, bizarre kind of stories and people that we've encountered so far, right? Well, we're going to hit another one today. But uh, before we get there, I got a question for you. Have you ever been badly mistaken about something? You know, you thought it was going to be one way and it just turned out just the opposite. Or you're praying one way and then God answers and it's like, wow, I never thought it would be answered in that way. I mean, sometimes what we expect doesn't turn out the way we expect it to turn out. And uh, there's a couple of ways that I think we're going to be um, informed today by Scripture. I think that there's very often times when we insist on something, for example, is impossible. It just cannot be done because we don't think we could do it. And yet God says, I can do that in you and through you. And we have a hard time believing sometimes the promises that God puts forth. Or or sometimes just believing that God could ever just use you for anything significant. And you think, well, I know that God uses some people, special people, to do some great things, but I don't think that he could ever do that through me. Right? We might be mistaken about that. We're thinking that the only way that God is ever really going to love and accept me is by doing something special for him or doing things the way that he calls me to, to make him happy with me, so then I'll be okay. We think we've got to work our way up to being liked by God, when in fact that's not the case at all, right? So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it with me to Judges chapter 11. And we're going to read a very interesting story about somebody who you would think and the world would think would never, ever, ever be a factor in God's economy to do something special for God. All right, here we go. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now Jephthah uh, of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother, his mother was a prostitute. That's an interesting start to life. There you go. 
Gilead's wife also had several other sons. So basically, he had a wife, but he had a, a child through a prostitute, all right? And, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off of the land. They said, you will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. <laughs> you know, I always thought, you know, if if a person is in the Bible, you know, it's kind of cool. You, you know, oh, my name is in the, actually in the Bible. Would you like to be the guy who they listed as, oh, he's the guy who has a worthless band of rebels following him, right? So this is who this guy is. Uh, it's like a, he's a mob boss, okay? He's got a syndicate going here all of a sudden. And so Jephthah, he fled from his brothers there. And about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. So when the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah. You, you getting the scenario here? So Jephthah is part of the Israeli tribe. And his half-brothers say, you're worthless, get out of it, you're never going to inherit anything from my dad. And he says, okay, fine. He goes over, starts his own crime syndicate, and he is just like wreaking havoc around the, the place. And then when Israel gets in trouble, who do they call? Not the Ghostbusters, right? Who do they call? They call Jephthah. Because why? Because he's tough. It says he's a warrior, but he's got all these literally thugs on his side. Well, Israel needed a bunch of thugs, right, to free, help free them from, from the, the foreign country here. Now, it's interesting. Uh, verse 6, the elder says, Come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? And they said, because we need you. Isn't an interesting turn of events, right? And so they, they said this, if you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. And then Jephthah said to the elders, he says, hey, let me get this straight. So... You're going to make me the boss, right? <laughs> he didn't actually say it that way, but you know, I mean, anyway. But so he, he says, so you run me out of town. I, I create my own crime syndicate here. And now when you guys are in need, you're, you're the guys that threw me out, right? And now you want me to be your leader. I am the, I'm the boss. I'm the big boss now. Interesting. And so he says, let me get it straight. I've come to you, uh, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? And then they say, the Lord is our witness. The elders replied, we promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and commander of their armies. And then Jephthah sent messengers to the king of Ammon. These are the guys, the bad guys that they were trying to, to you know, uh, get rid of. And says, why have you come out to fight against my land? The Ammonite king said. But the king of Ammon paid no attention to Jephthah's message. And at that time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. 
So up until this time, Jephthah and the Lord didn't have anything going on, right? But here is the nation of Israel. They're calling on Jephthah. And uh, it says at that time, verse 29, the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now that's important. So underline that. And he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead. And from there he led an army against the Ammonites and Jephthah. Then this is the really interesting part of the story. And Jephthah then made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Now, we're going to come back to that. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites and the Lord gave him victory. Now, here is the interesting part of the story. So when Jephthah returns home to Mizpah, who comes out to meet him? His daughter. His daughter is the first one out, right? playing on a tambourine, dancing for joy. She was his one and only child, and he had no other sons or daughters. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cries out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I've made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And then it says, her father kept the vow, verse 39, and she died. The implication is, is that he sacrificed his one and only child, his daughter, because he'd made a vow to the Lord about it. We'll talk more about that in a, in a second. Well, in the story here, verse, verse 12, it says, or chapter 12, verse 1, Then the people of Ephraim mobilized an army and crossed over the Jordan River to Zaphon, and they sent this message to Jephthah. Now, Get this, these are the Israelites that Jephthah just saved, right? And they made him the king or the, the ruler over all of the armies and everything else. And they said, we're going to make you the ruler over everybody. Remember, they made that promise. And now they're coming back to him after he's done everything and set them free. And, he, and they said, why didn't you call for us to help fight against the Ammonites? We're going to burn down your house with you in it. And then Jephthah replied, I summoned you at the beginning of the dispute, but you refused to come. You failed to help us in our struggle against Ammon. So when I realized you weren't coming, I risked my life and I went to battle without you. And the Lord gave me victory over the Ammonites. So why have you now come to fight me? And the people of Ephraim responded, You men of Gilead are nothing more than fugitives from Ephraim and Manasseh. So Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and attacked the men of Ephraim and defeated them. And in all, 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time. And then Jephthah judged Israel for six more years. And when he died, he was buried in the town of Gilead. Crazy story. So, so we see that they, they hire this guy that they put out and then they appreciate the fact that he, you know, does business and gets rid of the bad guys, but then they turn on him and they're going to threaten to kill him. And then he kills them, his own people. And then he becomes the judge of Israel and then he finally dies. Now, wow. 
So Jephthah was a despised outcast from a dysfunctional family and a leader of a crime syndicate who became the judge of Israel. Um, so how do, what does that do with us? I mean, how does this affect us? Does this have any, you know, everyday application for us? Why is this even in the Bible? It's interesting that it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. You know, you ever think, um, can God ever use me? Well, he used Jephthah. At, at, at the moment that he was needed, God found the person that he needed to be in that position at that time. So um, he was evidently with Jephthah. He can be with us. Um, now, let's talk just for a second, because I think it, this is probably the, the head scratcher of the, the story, right? When Jephthah felt like he needed to make a bargain with God, if you help me to overcome the Ammonites, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house when I get back home, right? Now, maybe he was thinking it would be, or hoping it would be his mother-in-law. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Just saying, you know. Maybe he had a family dog and he thought, okay, yeah, I can sacrifice this dog finally, you know. I mean, get this dog out of the way. It turns out to be his daughter. And then he actually follows through and sacrifice. Why would someone who was, you know, had the Lord come upon him, why would he think that he would need to make a vow of a sacrifice to God? Now, this is, this is where it applies to us today. Sometimes we can be very dedicated um, followers of Jesus and still be blind to the fact that we are a little too tied to our society, to the way the world operates. Now, keep in mind, during this time, he lived in a world where there were so many pagan gods. And in order to get the attention of a pagan god and secure getting what you wanted from that god, the ultimate was human sacrifice. I mean, you've heard about that, right? The Incas and the, all these other you know, uh, nations and, 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 and people who have come through the world, you know, different eras. Human sacrifice was the ultimate in order of, to appease a God or to get what you wanted from that God. If you wanted a good crop, if you wanted rain, if you wanted, you know, whatever. If you sacrificed a human blood, you got what you wanted from, from this, this God of yours. Now, um, Deuteronomy 12.31 says this. It says that human sacrifice is detestable and something that the Lord hates. So why would then Jephthah, as an Israelite, do that? Because he was so enmeshed with the world that he was blind to what God really wanted. And I think it's very easy to find ourselves doing things the way the world does them 
and still be thinking that we're dedicated followers of Jesus. When I think of Jephthah, one of the first things that my mind drifts toward is violence. And how we now, as Christians, can say we love Jesus and we sing wonderful songs. And by the way, your singing today was phenomenal. We worship before God and then we go home and we get on the video game and we are killing everything within sight. And we think, that's okay. Is it? Now, I want, I want you to know that this is, I'm not saying this so that you will gain favor with God if you stop playing violent video games or watching R-rated movies that are filled with violence. I mean, it's just almost insane how many bodies are killed in movies today. It's, it's, and, we, and we think nothing about it. Because it's just entertainment, right? And then we wonder why there are... children being shot in their schools. Should we be surprised? I mean, at what point do we take a stand? Right? And I think that it's a wake-up call for us to say how interesting it is that someone can choose to willingly participate in violent behavior when Jesus said, I come to bring peace. In the children's section today, they're talking about how do we respond to people who are violent towards us? And they're you know, playing little games. They get little Nerf balls and they throw them at the kids, you know. And it's like, well, how are you going to respond? Are you going to pick up the ball and throw it back? Or are you going to say, God bless you. Bless those who persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Bless and do not curse. That's what the person that we follow says we should do. And so here, we have to understand that there are, there are a myriad of ways in which society does their thing. And we need to just dive deep into God's Word and say, how does a follower of Jesus really act and live and relate to the world? Right? God doesn't come to judge. He doesn't come with a sword. He comes to bring peace. And sometimes that means doing things exactly opposite of the way the world does it. Right? It's convicting. It's convicting. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 
You see, Jephthah was not only influenced by pagan morality and false worship practices, but also had the sense of works righteousness, that if I do this, that will make God bless me, right? Now, unfortunately, well-meaning followers of Jesus, we have a, a, a tendency to have blind spots and we do the same thing. But Romans 12, 1 says this, Give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that will find, that he will find acceptable. This is truly, this is truly the way to worship God. The way to worship him, right? Not the way to get on his good side. Not the way to get what you want from God. But this is truly the way we Worship God. So let me, let me end with a couple of takeaways, just quick ones here. Number one, I hope that you believe you can take away something from this story. And the first thing is that God can use you. No matter what your background, uh, no matter if you're from a good family or a tough situation, God can use you to do something Amazing, something miraculous, something special that you never thought God could ever do through you. I just want you to be able to open your hands and say, God, I'm available. Use me. And when, then when you hear what he wants you to do, don't be afraid, okay? Because it's God who's going to do it through you. That's the point. I think a second thing we can take away from this is that, that nobody's perfect, Nobody's perfect. Um, just because you may be doing something significant for God and in His strength doesn't mean that you're still not susceptible to an error along the way. Okay? I mean, we can be right in the middle of doing God's will and uh, we're still human and we still make mistakes. Wasn't it the Apostle Paul who said, Oh, what a wretched man am I. I want to do what's right and I find myself doing what's wrong. What's the answer to that? We've talked about this before. We just, we continue to lead a confessional life. We agree with God when we realize we've done something wrong by the prompting of the Spirit. We say, God, thank you for pointing that out to me that what I was doing was wrong. Now, you go to the second step, right? We've said confession is a three-step process. You agree with God that it's wrong. And then what do you do? You agree with God that it is forgiven by Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross. Then the third thing that you you remember is that with God's power and God's help from the from the scriptures, from the Holy Spirit who's living inside you and from the community of faith that we have together to encourage each other. Right. We can overcome that behavior, even if it's become a pattern in our life. We have the power within us and with God's power and God's strength to be able to not do those things anymore that God's calling us to keep away from, right? And then to power to do the right thing that he calls us to do. A third thing that, that I realize here is that God isn't for sale. God isn't for sale. He doesn't make deals. God has his plans. We align ourselves with his will, with his will, not bargain to get our will from him. Right. Another one. Everyone has blind spots. We are more influenced by our culture than we can think or imagine. 
uh, we are mostly uh, far more affected by our culture than, uh, than what we read in the Bible sometimes. We can read the Bible and then we don't realize it. We close the Bible and then we're right back to doing our thing the way the world does it. And so we need to pray, God, open my eyes. Help me to see where I might be doing things the way the world does them instead of the way that you want me to. And then the last and most important thing is just remember that God loves you. I mean, God loves you. We, we celebrate the resurrection. And, and I mean, his death on the cross, the resurrection, all that was celebrated the last two weeks we were together. Remember, God loves you so much that he left heaven's glory, came down and led a, a sinless life, but he allowed himself to be sacrificed on the cross to pay the penalty for our mistakes, our sins, right? He's a good God. He is for you. He is for you. He doesn't want your life to be miserable. He wants you to believe that. He wants you to live a life filled with joy, filled with peace. He wants you to be a person who brings love and joy and peace to those around you. He wants you to realize that you are created in His image and you are His image bearer. And and, and because of that, you can be like Him. He wants you to be like Him and present Jesus to a lost and dying world, right? Okay, but you can't earn his love. You don't need to earn his love, right? He just loves you because he loves you. He created you to have a relationship with him. That's the most important thing. You know, most of us, I think, struggle to really sincerely believe that God does love us and that he is a God that is filled with grace and mercy. Right? He's not demanding. He knows our weakness. He created us. He knows who we are. He knows our strengths and weaknesses. He's the one who created us. But we need to embrace that grace, right? So the, the question we are left with is, how would I live differently if I really believed that God is totally committed to loving me. How would that change the way you think? How would that change the way you live? Right? So just, you know, read this story. Wake up call. Um, you can be used by God. God loves you. He created you for an intimate relationship. And He is the one who makes that possible. All right? So let's love and encourage each other to those ends. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you so much for loving us. Um, I... <laughs> I continue to be amazed at the people that you use in Scripture. Uh, they just seem so weird, uh, so odd, but what an odd bunch. And yet I find myself in that same category, God. Um, thank you that, that you give us all uh, just this taste of your Holy Spirit that comes in to give us the peace to help us know and realize that you do love us. You created us for a relationship. And God, help us to embrace that today. Uh, where we find ourselves acting the way the world does uh, and thinking that might even please you, uh, forgive us. Uh, open our eyes to our blind spots and give us the direction from your word that we need to live our life, not just to please you, but to be, be image bearers 
that reflect who you are to the people around us. Help us be bringers of peace and love and joy. We thank you for this opportunity and the power to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com. Thank you.